This is Mission.org. In my role, I always talk about growth around what I call the three R's. Reputation, which is about the brand. Relationship, which is about the customer, the client. And then revenue, which is about sales. And I use this 3R model because everybody in my team, they can see how they fit. As the marketing world continues to evolve, are some chief marketing officers still holding on to outdated modes of thought? Our next guest has a message for them. Change your marketing mindset. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Jeremy Bergeron. Today, we're pleased to welcome Teresa Barrera, the Chief Marketing Officer at the digital consulting company, Publicis Sapient. With a stellar resume that boasts leadership positions at IBM, Accenture, and Deloitte, Teresa's creative approaches will have you rethinking what you've been taught about marketing and leadership. Is the purchase funnel nonsense? Is your competition irrelevant? Is speed actually more important than process? Get ready for some transformative marketing insights that'll blow your mind and take your leadership to the next level. Let's get into it. For our audience, that's just kind of level set. And how, how would you describe your background? I am a native of Portugal. So I am uh, Hispanic. I was born and raised uh, in a small village of a thousand people. And I immigrated to the United States when I was 16 and a half with uh, my mother and my sister. To be honest, I actually never imagined I would be a CMO. That was never in my career path. Growing up in the small village, uh, you didn't have exposure to a lot of career choices. And you grew up thinking my parents were really, uh, they believed education was freedom. So they felt that both my sister and I, we needed to pursue a higher education, even though they didn't have it. They were entrepreneurs. My parents were small business owners that owned several business in our village. And I sort of grew up with kind of that mentality of, you know, working hard, being scrappy, innovative, but knew in that education was really important. Because there was not a lot of choices, they always installed me that I would grow up to become a lawyer or a doctor. And if I can do either, then I would be a banker. And the banker would become like a teller working in a bank. So when I moved to America with my mother and sister, I went to university and I went to university as a pre-med major. That was my path. I was going to become a doctor. In my sophomore year, I was introduced to organic chemistry. And I can tell you, that was not my friend. <laughs> I quickly realized that with this it was not going to be a good choice for me. Then I said, okay, well, I only have one more choice. I get become a lawyer. So I switched my major to political science. I actually loved political science and I minor in economics. I loved all the reading, the thinking, the writing. And when I was graduating, I said, okay, well, then I'm going to go to law school. And I did study for the LSAT, but I probably didn't study enough and I didn't do as well as I thought. I went to get my MBA. Then I, I really started focusing more on marketing classes. I actually did end up doing my co-op in finance, which I also discovered that was not something I loved. 
And that's how I got introduced to marketing. When I finished, I went to work at IBM and I worked many different facets of marketing, got to travel the world. My career began with product marketing, which I think is probably the right way to start your marketing career because it's very different than service marketing. So I spent a lot of years at IBM, different facets of the business from industry marketing to brand marketing, to product marketing, to alliance marketing, to solution marketing. I learned it all. I left, went to a startup, and then from a startup, I went to an Accenture where I'd spent a lot of years as well, working in different parts of the business, but all very different. Service marketing is very different because you're selling people and content becomes really important because you don't have a tangible product. So the content becomes your product. And from there, I became the CMO at, uh, for Deloitte Consulting in the US, and then it got me here. So study for the LSAT and then take the GMAT <laughs> and get into grad school, get the MBA, get exposed to marketing and really dive in at IBM, you said, where you spent a decade at IBM. And IBM was really where you went from individual contributor into leader, right? Is that where that happened? You got it to describe that kind of intersection for you, like as marketer, learning brand, learning product. But there's also a big shift that happens from like, okay, now you're shifting into leadership and marketing leadership. What was that journey like at IBM? First of all, it was a fantastic learning ground. And I still am a big fan of IBM. I think still is my first love today. But it is a transition. That's what you absolutely like. You start to learn how to lead is different than managing. Leading, you have to coach versus managing. So that's what I started to lead. And one of the things, because it's a large company, you learn not just how to lead, but a lead from the side and lead from behind as well. Lead by influence. Mm. That's where I started having those lessons and they also carry them to, to Accenture as well. And in some ways has informed a lot of my leadership today. Learning that leadership style in a large company where you have to bring others along, you have to drive consensus mm. is very different. And I actually think it's a skill that you carry it to life. I mean, even as a mother, I have two teenagers now, but you have to also negotiate a lot. Those skills, how to lead by influence, how to bring others along. That's a, a skill that I think is actually important to all aspects of your life. Can you talk a little bit about how do you drive consensus, especially now as a CMO of a multi-billion dollar organization, you have to reach across the aisle and work with lots of stakeholders and also other industries and your clients and customers. And so driving consistency is really important, especially at your level. How do you do it? How do you do it well? What are some of the things that you take when you think of driving consistency? What does that mean? How, does, how do you do that? I think one thing you first have to establish with your colleagues is trust. I think trust is really important. You have to establish trust and also your team. If you don't have that trust, it's really hard for people to follow you, either be your team or be a colleague, to support you. First of all, trust. And also building trust is also showing part of building trust is the, the show, uh, take accountability mm. and show results. With my team, I feel like a lot of the things were done is because we trust each other. When we talk about our success, it's collective success. I believe that we're all going to either win together or we're going to fail together. But it's as one. And I talk to my team a lot about this. We have collective goals. We have shared goals. And if we create those goals together and we believe that we are in it together, then we're going to have to trust each other because everybody is rowing in the same direction. And I think with the leadership, with my colleagues in the leadership, it is not much different to show 
Like when I talk about what I do, marketing, it's very clear that it is to drive the business. Marketing is the business. One of the things that I work really hard because in service companies, that is not always the case. In a lot of service companies, they still have this mentality that marketing is a support function and it's detrimental to marketing when you're viewed that way. I very clear and with some people establish that right up front. We're not here to support. We're here to lead. Wow. I love that. I want to shift into your some of your leadership philosophies. I wrote these down. I'm going to mention them and just share anecdotally what you will about them. The first one is constant evolution. Tell us about constant evolution. We live in a world of change. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we know change is inevitable, especially what we just went through the last two years. And change is not only inevitable, but it's so rapidly. It's accelerated at a speed we've never seen before. Knowing that you know that, that we cannot predict the future, but you know there will be change, you have to evolve. You have constantly evolved. So you have to live everything you do. You have to think about it is in a constant state of beta. It's never finished. So you always iterate. You always evolve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That have that ability to say that you're never done. You have to constantly evolve. I think it's really, really important. And it keeps you motivated, but it keeps you to innovate. Because what you did yesterday is not as good as this today. And what you're doing today is not going to be as good as what you're going to do tomorrow. So you constantly have to change. That's great. The next one I really love, especially because of what you represent and your background, is this idea of culture fueling innovation. And I would almost add culture plus diversity fuels innovation, you know? And so I know you've been a big proponent of that, but talk us through culture fueling innovation and what that means for you and your team and and Publicis Sapient. Yeah, culture is really important because at the end of the day, Jeremy, transformation is about people. We are in a business, a digital business transformation. That's what we do as a company. We're a digital transformation company that we work with large established company to help them transform using digital technologies. But the technology is the enabler because at the end of the day, it is the people that are making the decisions. Creating that, having that culture, that environment that empowers people, that allows them to be their best self. And that's, I think, what is actually going to create the innovation. If you create a culture that I can bring my best self to work, where I can bring my background, my heritage, I'm Hispanic, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm an immigrant, I'm a woman, I'm a mother. All those things make me, are important to me. So if I can create an environment that empowers people, I think that's what I think innovation will flourish. There's a great show on Netflix where they talk to the amazing coaches and they also interview the best soccer coach, he happens to be Portuguese, José Mourinho. And there's a question they ask José Mourinho. When you were coaching Real Madrid, you had the greatest players in that team. You had Ronaldo, you had and many others. So how do you coach Ronaldo how to do a free kick? And I thought he had a fantastic and beautiful answer to say, I can't coach Ronaldo or do a free kick. He knows how to do that. Well, my job is how do I enable Ronaldo to do that in this team? So that is about culture. 
I can hire the most skilled people, the best people, can bring them together. But then if the environment doesn't allow for them to do what they do, because they know you hire the best people, you should get let, let them know what they know because that's what they know how to do. You hire them for their skills. But then the environment has to enable them to do that. And if it doesn't, they're not going to succeed. It's like it's organ rejection. That's good. How about this one around speed over process? I'm curious about this specifically because I know, you know, I talk to a lot of organizations at scale where, of course, process is really important. Some, some leaders would say process sets you free, correct the process, not the person. And then you have this idea of speed over process, which I'm really interested in. Tell us about speed over process. Unpack that for us. Yeah, I am a big believer in that. Goes back to what I just said about continued innovation. You can always get better, but the process gets in the way of you getting to market fast and it's, it's just slowing you down. If you get there, you're only 60 or 80%, right? You can always get to the next 20%. And if you get to market to 60, 80%, you then get feedback. You get feedback and that feedback is way more valuable than the extra 40 or 20% that you're going to spend trying to get it to perfection. To me, speed, because I believe that it's best to evolve. Progression, progress is much better. And that's why I think that to me is so important. So I always tell people, get it out there, get some feedback, get some reaction and see how it performs. Whatever it is, a product, a piece of content, a podcast, you can have your first podcast, see how it does. And then see how people react, see the comments you get. And then you evolve from there. So speed for me is very, very important. How about this experience you have and your team has, your organization has around working with other industries, but also it gives you this interesting perspective to learn from other industries too, right? As a service-based business, it puts you right on the tip of innovation in lots of industries. And so as you as a marketing leader, I'm just curious, like, what are some of the things maybe you've learned or things that you've noticed by working in these other industries, supporting these other industries? from representing Publicis Sapien? As a company, we work across many industries. But I think what actually for us, it's not just what we learn, but actually can we share? Because the most valuable is actually where clients can learn from industries outside their industries. We used to do a lot of competitive analysis. I grew up in, you know, in the 90s, look at your competitors. I'm not a believer anymore. I believe more, it's not what your competitors doing, it is what your customers are saying. It doesn't really matter so much what competitors do because the question is, who's your competitor? So think companies that transcend industries like Apple. Is Apple a retailer? Is it a computer manufacturer? Is it an entertainment company? They all of them. So who's their competitor? So it is irrelevant who your competitor are. So I think what's important is to look outside your industry for us, it's actually bringing two clients to say, if you are a hotel, if you're Marriott, who's your competitor? Is your competitor? What should you be looking to? Is it the Hilton? Is it Airbnb? Or what you should be learning? Or should you look to Uber to learn? Because if I can get into inside of a Uber, in, a, in and out of a Uber, so easy, with no ever, ever to, to get my wallet, to do any transactions, why can't I do the same thing when I check into a hotel? So look outside your industries to learn, to innovate. I think that's very important. 
you know, Jeremy, also in hiring, I hire outside the industry all the time. My first two hires when I took on this role, they never worked in corporate America. They never had a job in, um, in a corporation. And those were actually, when I think about it, they were the fantastic hires because what they brought is different skills, different, not just skills, but different way of thinking, different way of doing. And allow the team and those behavioral behaviors, they model those behaviors and allow the rest of the team to say, thinking about speed, one of those hires was a, a, a fantastic woman. She came from the Wall Street Journal and she used to run the news desk at the Wall Street Journal. So think about speed of producing content. When you're working at, in a consultancy and create tall leadership, they used to create tall leadership that takes 30, 60, 90 days to create. When you come from that, a newsroom, it takes minutes, hours, and maybe days, but definitely not weeks or months. That is what you learn from looking outside your industry. There was something we talked about uh, initially. Is it the how? The how channel. The how channel. Yes, the how channel, which I did spend some time on that after we spoke last time. But talk about that, the, the genesis of that and some of the things you're learning with that. And, you know, because it seems like that was a, a quick launch as well. And there's really great content on there already. So if you haven't checked it out, go check out the How channel. Tell us about that and the why behind that and some of the things you're learning with that channel. So the How channel is actually a, a fantastic example of speed. We, we produced it in 30 days. It's a fantastic example, Jeremy, have how you progress over process and speed over perfection. Because when we did it, it was during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, Somehow we were all at home and in many cases still are, here I am too. And people start doing a lot of webinars. And to be honest, I didn't think webinars were sexy in the nineties and I didn't think they were going to be sexy now either. <laughs> um, and so everybody's rushing to the webinar and these webinars were like dry, right? Like they were not engaging like this conversation we're having today. It was just somebody pitching to you, like the, literally taking their PowerPoint deck and just doing it over video. And that is not the most engaging way to keep an audience for an hour. Everybody's going this direction. And I said to the team, let's do something different. Video should not be more than 15 minutes, maybe max five minutes on a topic. So let's launch this. I said, let's just launch it. In 30 days, we created the platform and we put out like less than 10 videos and see how it performs. And the idea of the How Channel was to create a platform. It was to become a platform, a video streaming platform they would have short form video content. Everything was not five minutes or less. And it's to bring thought leadership to people in different topics, but do it through video. The idea is we can do it during the pandemic, but also think beyond the pandemic when somebody is in a car or in a, in a line at the airport, I can sit there instead of reading a piece of document, it's easier just to put on your headphones, listen to a podcast, which I think is a fabulous way to get content out or listen to or watch this video for five minutes. The idea is short form content that is engaging, is entertaining, and it's interactive. That was the promise of the platform, and it still is. In order to make it into a platform, I think I, for me, we need two things. We need a volume. So once we have volume, lots of content, we can customize. Volume gave us data. Once we have the data, we then can customize it. If I know Jeremy is interested in technology and is interested in marketing, so we can know what content to serve up to you. 
that's how the how channel originated. And what we learn with that is actually what I actually believe today the marketing needs to start thinking about. When I was uh, in my career working in service companies, as I said to you, we think a lot about content. Content was king, content was queen. Content is the product. And it's great because content is about telling a story. And I used to think, tell to people, you got to think like a publisher. But you know, today, I think I tell people, you have to think like a, a streaming platform. And I learned this with How Channel. Well, we learned that the video actually does very well. It's the interception where content not only has to inform and educate, but also has to entertain. And that's that intersection where I think the entertainment comes, where content really can, can really live to its promise. And when I say entertaining, is not about showing cat videos or, or dog videos. Entertaining is about knowing what the brand wants to talk about, but what the customer wants to hear. The intersection of what I want to tell you from a brand, because I have some messages and some things I want to get out, but what my customers want to hear, the intersection of the two, that's for me what I define entertaining. That's great. Wow. I love that. I'm writing that, a lot of that down. And just even the, this idea of like thinking like a streaming platform, that is that is gold. And that, that will shift uh, perspective around a marketing leader and how they view content. And so I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Because if you think like, uh, just to add to that point, if I may. Yeah. When you think like a streaming platform, you have to think about story. How do you maintain the audience? How do you keep them engaged? Story becomes more important. I'm not just going to talk to you about cloud because it might not be the most interesting thing, but I want to talk to you about cloud, but the user might want to hear something else. So how do you merge those two? No, oh, yeah, it's amazing. It's something that we, you know, we think a lot about this as a media company as well of like how we're curating the best, the best content and around the best intersection, like you said, informing, educating, and also making it entertaining, make it enjoyable for the, the customer, the prospect, the partner. And so it's just to be thinking along those lines with content is huge. And I think that's a great distinction. You're celebrating your four years at Publicis, right? For your anniversary? Yes, this year is my four years. Congratulations on that. Thank you. You're welcome. The, the company had grown by around 20 acquisitions. What impact did, did so many acquisitions have on the company? In other words, like yeah. why did Publicis Sapient brand need to be refocused? More than 10 brands. When I came in, I knew right away we had to rebrand and un unify the company under one single brand. That was a really important moment for us. It was not just a moment about creating a new brand, a new design, a new logo. It was a, a moment about unifying the company around one strategy as well. And the strategy was to become a digital business transformation company, consultancy. And so that moment that's brought everybody together, and the brand was the catalyst for that. And then I was very clear when I launched the brand, I told the entire company, it is not just about the brand. It's about our strategy. It's about how we're going forward. It's about our direction. It's about the way our, uh, our shifting our business. So that was very important to combine the two. And it was a beautiful moment, Jeremy, because our brand was crowdsourced. We crowdsourced it internally. We had over 100 designers across the world from different geographies that contributed. We had to review. We spent 
uh, we had so many concepts. And at the end, we actually we chose this concept as the concept of our brand today that was from this younger des uh, young designer from Boston. That's cool. I mean, that's a, you think about the the magnitude of having that many, you know, there's, like you said, there's a lot of, lot of brands, a lot of names. That's a lot of infrastructure to kind of now unify, okay, what, what is our message? Who are we now? How do we want to be seen? And then to go internally, come up with the right, you know, identity with someone on, I, I love that, but that's a lot. I know that was a lot to take on. It was, but it was a fun, I, I have to say it was probably one of the most fun and most memorable and probably impactful moments in my career because I've gone through different brand launches before, but never in one where the entire company came together and we created together. And when we were doing the brand, we also working on the strategy, but we're also working in our values and our purpose. And at the same time, we redefined what was our new purpose for the company, which is to help people thrive in a brave pursuit of next. And we also brought all the company together and we seek input from everywhere. So I thought it was a beautiful moment because it was something that we owned. I think we felt pride because we did it. We built it together. We built it in-house. How have the, from just from your perspective, like how have the disruptions of the last couple of years like impacted consumers and workers? Like what lessons can we take away from consumer behavior and marketing evolution? Like in the, what have you kind of observed in the last couple of years? I think the last two years, the pandemic has been just an accelerated. For marketeers, even this before COVID that I've been thinking about and, and, and doing, is that we've been living in, an, in, a, in a, what I call an attention economy. And this was before the pandemic. That means the consumers, they get to decide when they want, they want to interact with you, how they want to spend their time, which brands and companies they want to spend their time. We've known this for a long time, that consumers have all the power. And no company can guide the customer. The customer guides us. And what I find is that some folks, so some marketing folks, they still think they actually can guide the customer to a purchase. I believe that today, and this is even prior to the pandemic, but again, the pandemic just accelerated this even more, that people, don't, they just don't go shopping. They are shopping. And what this means that requires that we think about the path to purchase is different. It's not linear. It's circular. Mm. I, I do want to get your thoughts on kind of the future, and then we can get into some lightning rounds, some fun questions. But in terms of just the future of this rapid business digital transformation, how do you foresee marketing practices shifting, right, along with this 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 very fast digital business transformation? What will mostly stay the same? Where do you anticipate the greatest changes? I think it's probably never been a greatest time to be in marketing or uh, in a marketing organization or to be a CMO. I think marketing today has so much power in an organization, more than I think, and more influence than I think than I ever had before. As CMOs used to be the custodians of the brand, but today that role has evolved, has evolved, uh, has been evolving for the last 15 years. It's more than that. Uh, CMOs today are drivers of growth, but they also drivers of strategy. And I think that's where the role is evolving to become more and more. For those CMOs that are marketing the organizations that are not built for that, their tenure tends to be small. To answer your question, Jeremy, I think marketing today is in the, or in the position not just to drive growth for the company, 
which I think that's what it should be. Like in my, in my role, I, team, I always talk about growth around what I call the three R's, which is reputation, which is about the brand, relationship, which is about the customer, the client, and then revenue, which is about sales. And I use this three R sort of model because I think when you think about the three R's, everybody in my team, they can see how they fit. So if you are a designer, if you're a copywriter, I can see, okay, that's the first R. What I'm doing is helping with the first R. Mm -hmm. And then if you are in an industry or marketing, you can say, okay, I'm helping with driving value for clients. And then the last R, which is the sales, where I think we all try to to everything we do to, to lead to that. But I think this construct, it does allow for you to know, because sometimes you could be in a marketing organization, so well, I'm just a copywriter. How do I help drive revenue? But growth it can just be about the business, growth about the brand, growth about clients, and growth about sales. So I think and have the mentality that we are here to drive growth fundamentally, and we have to be able to measure. So I think that's one aspect of marketing has evolved to. The other one is strategy, but it's not strategy just for marketing. It's strategy for the company, because if you think about it, when you are in marketing, you actually get a lot understanding of the customer and you have bring a lot of insights to the business about the customer. So taking those insights, taking that data, taking that knowledge and use that knowledge to help drive the company strategy, which markets we should go, which segments should we enter, which solutions should we be creating? What messaging should we put out there? What position should we be taking? All of this is not just about the brand. It's about the company. I think more than ever, the marketeers are in that position more now than ever to influence and to become a huge partner, like a strategic partner, an advisor to the CEO. That's huge. I mean, I think that's a testament to you know, your ability to be a marketing leader for as long as you have been. People don't always stay in those roles very long. You know, the good ones seems to stay there, but even being in the role for a year is like, that's okay. That's, that's a job well done. Two years, you're doing great. Three, four, you know, and so I just love how you have this high level view of a very big business. You talk about reputation and relationship and revenue, and you can get into each of those three things and you can get very detailed, but let's say if you keep that view, you can really understand, okay, a perspective around, okay, this person's driving this, you're supporting this, and you can see the bigger picture. I think there's a lot of gold there. So I love those three. That's awesome. Yes. And also being able to tell a story because a lot of times I think what we feel is to sometimes to market the marketing, but you have to be able to tell the story. And this is why data is so important. Having a data-informed marketing organization. When I came on board, that was the first thing I started hiring and build a data and insights analytics practice because that gives you information, uh, gives you the insights, but it also gives you credibility because you now have outcomes and it's data informed. It's not me saying, hey, we should be doing this. And I said, no, data has told me that we should be doing this. So from that perspective, you, you know, people tend to come along more with you and you also you know, bring credibility the other thing that's really important that I've learned in my career is that you have to show outcomes. Even when you live, if you're in a marketing organization or company where the CEO doesn't want a 
report or doesn't want to, to, doesn't ask for it, you should give it to them. When I came on board, I made it my business. I sit in the leadership team of the company there every month to provide a status, not a status on activities, but a status on our performance. How are we doing against pipeline? And I gave myself goals. Nobody gave them to me, mm. but I gave it to my team and our team, and we gave ourselves targets and we measure ourselves against the targets. That's really important because then others just said, oh, so the marketing is not this function out there that they're doing something for our brand. We're really not sure what it is, but they are doing something. So that gives you a lot of credibility. So that education, they show the impact, the results, be proactive, demonstrate the value. And again, as we talked about earlier, run marketing as a business. You know, you build the credibility uh, for the function. Mm, that's fantastic. There's two articles that we had on the prep doc. One was about McDonald's spotlights Latino film talent. So the summary is essentially McDonald's USA launches Spotlight Dorado, where Latinos can submit screenplays for short films. The winners will receive $75,000 budget. What do you think of this strategy? And the winners actually receive funds and a mentorship. Do you, do you think like this could be more valuable than a college program? Love your thoughts on this. First of all, I'm happy for McDonald's to embrace diversity because their customers are very diverse. I am a big believer in giving people opportunities where they can own their skills. Going to university, it's still, it's important. I don't believe it's, it has to be for everybody. One of the things that I'm actually champion is to create opportunities that we could actually bring high school students into the organization where they can learn the trade. And these are folks that they come from backgrounds. We want to go with people specifically first generation college students where their parents, they were definitely, they were not working the marketing profession to expose them to what could be a career in marketing. Because like me, I didn't have that exposure. So folks that perhaps the neighborhoods they live, that's not what their parents do and that's not what their neighbors do. And to give them that opportunity to see that this is, could be a career for them as well. So that's something I'm very, very passionate about it as well. So I think if you can combine diversity and also give people opportunity that a college degree doesn't have to be for everybody. I, I, I'm, I'm a, a believer in that. I love that. As you, as you describe that program, I'm just like, ah, if this, if this would have existed, you know, for me or for others that I know would have loved to have that opportunity to be exposed to the marketing function and a marketing team, especially at the scale that Publis is operating. That's just phenomenal. So I love it. And you started that internship program, right? That was last year. This is the second year you're doing it. Yes, we started last year. We do it this year. And when we do this internship, Jeremy, it's very clear that this internship is for the students. The folks in my team, they take on the interns. I tell them, this is extra work for you, is to you to teach, to educate. And when the students leave, they actually rate their supervisor. Mm, that's great. And they give us feedback. So the idea is really to expose them and to inspire them. That's awesome. I love that. Are you ready for the lightning round? Some fun questions. 
Okay. <laughs> Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. So if you want to learn more about Salesforce, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Thank you, Salesforce. Teresa Pereira, Chief Marketing Officer, Publicis Sapient, incredible marketing leader. First question, what was the last time you tried something new? Uh, two days ago. What was it? I tried a new spice. Okay. I'm not a fan of uh, hot food, but my son got this uh, spicy chicken and he encouraged me to try it. I have to say I not, might not do it again. Okay, nice, okay. Next question, what is a life lesson you learned the hard way? To trust your instincts and don't follow the shiny object. I love that. What is an activity that makes you lose track of time? I, I love walking. Okay. Walking is, for me, is something that I, I could do all day long. Matter of fact, during the pandemic, I sold my car. Oh, wow. I love that. That's awesome. That's one that I share as well. Every day, walk morning, first thing in the morning, take the dog. And then in the evening, it's like a big part of my wind up and wind down for the day. So walking has been huge. Um, I didn't sell my car during the pandemic. Though. That's huge. That's a, that's a strong move. If you could choose one book as a mandatory read for all high school students, which book would you choose? Wow. Actually, somebody asked me that question yesterday, and I gave her some examples, but I, I don't know. But my I favorite author, and I always learned so much from him, is Malcolm Gladwell. Mm, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. So all his books, the last one I read was Talking to Strangers. Okay. I just find that very inspirational. And that's the author I would um, recommend. I like it. Okay. Would you rather lose all of your old memories or never be able to make new ones? Oh, that's a lot, tough one. Mm -hmm. I'd rather never been, be able to make new ones. Oh, okay. Okay. If you have to build a marketing team from scratch, let's say tomorrow you go into work, everybody's gone. You have to, you have to hire the first role what role are you hiring first and why? Data. Data. I love that. Okay. Data. Because I think every data, I believe marketing has become more of a science than an art. The data informs the art. Well said. What is something that impresses you? People. Uh, ability to change and their ability to evolve, I, I find that would see with my team how far they have come. I guess their courage and grit, especially during the pandemic. If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? Wow. I would go back to college. Okay. Okay. I would go back to college. I love, love my four years of college. I think that was the best fun you're free. I was in, um, for me, especially coming from my small village, was everything was new. That's, that's great. Um, what is your favorite app on your phone? Audible, because Audible, the reason, because I love to walk. Okay. So I get obsessed with audiobooks. What is the skill you believe everyone should have? Listening. My that's my favorite. That's my all-time favorite. Good answer. If you could effortlessly pick up a new skill in like an instant, what would you pick up? Ooh. 
patience. Okay. Okay. Says the mom of two teenage sons. I got it. Okay. Okay. Last question. What is one thing you would like to do this year that you've never done before? I want to go to uh, Fogo Island. It's in Canada. And you, it's a beautiful place. I, it's been on my bucket list uh, for a long time. And you get to actually see icebergs. Cool. I'm writing that down. That's a good one. Okay. Fogo Island. Awesome. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for being on Marketing Trends. This was the highlight of my week. I know our audience is going to be excited to hear from you. Such an honor to have you on the show. Your background, incredible. Your experience and perspective, just marvelous. Congratulations on you, on the whole team at Publicis Sapient. We will be paying attention at Mission for sure. Uh, thank you for being on Marketing Trends. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure, Jeremy. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.